Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. We've been doing a series around uh, the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit, particularly that empowering uh, presence that came to the church on Pentecost. And um, I, I want to carry that on a little bit this morning. In fact, I want to talk about really the effects of Pentecost on God's people. One of, one of Gateway's priorities, you know, we, we talk about the priorities. If you stay at Gateway, one of the things that we want to see happen in your life is we want to develop a people who are growing in their ability to recognize and respond to the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we are looking to be a community that are spirit-sensitive, that are spirit-led. And I would suggest to you that the experience of Pentecost, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, opens that possibility up in, uh, in an increased measure. Now, I'm not suggesting that people who haven't received the baptism in the Holy Spirit can't be or aren't being led by the Holy Spirit. What I am suggesting is that our experience of Pentecost, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, heightens that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Now, I realized in saying what I just said, I could be quite badly misunderstood, so let me take a moment just to clarify. I'm not suggesting that because I have had that experience that I am, ipso facto, more sensitive to the Holy Spirit than those who haven't had that experience. I'm not comparing me to you. I'm comparing me to me. Me before I encountered the power of the Holy Spirit and me after. You know, over the years, I've had one or two people get irate with me, um, actually more than one or two, but that's okay. Uh, and sometimes they've come to me and said things like, do you think that you're more mature than me because you speak in tongues? And over the years, my answer has always remained the same, and it goes along these lines. I don't think I'm anything more than you because I speak in tongues. I'm not interested in comparing myself to you. But I do know that the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues made me a better me. So there we go, okay? I'm not suggesting that the baptism in the Holy Spirit in my experience makes me more sensitive to somebody who hasn't had it, but it did make me more sensitive before, than, than the me before I had it. I want to talk briefly about being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is not something new for those of you who come regularly to Gateway. I've done this many times because it is a priority that we long to see happen. So every now and then we'll go back and visit it. And that's what we're doing this morning. Let me begin by reading to you a, a gaggle of scriptures that are completely unrelated except for the fact that in them we are promised or people experience the leading of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 14, said, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The experience of the early disciples after their encounter of the Holy or by the Holy Spirit was one of being led by him. So in Acts 8.29, it says, The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. 
In Acts chapter 10 and verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. In Acts chapter 11, verse 27 and following, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in the, and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. In Acts chapter 16, verse 7, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. In all of those scriptures, the common thread is the Holy Spirit leading, guiding, revealing, explaining, reminding. And when I read those kinds of scriptures, I'm, I'm the kind of person that says, yeah, but how? What does that mean? I read that the Spirit spoke to them, but how did that happen? What does that look like in shoes, my shoes and your shoes? Practically, what does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit? Now, when you say that, I'm aware that some people are probably thinking, actually, I'm afraid of that. I'm not even sure that I want that to happen. It isn't that you are necessarily stubbornly resistant, although I guess that could possibly be true. It's more likely that you've met people who claim to be led by the Spirit, and then what they did and what they said was just downright weird. And you think, if that's what it means to be led by the Spirit, I'll give it a miss. Thank you very much. Can I let you into a secret that uh, I found over my 40 years of experience? People like this were weird before they ever met the Holy Spirit, okay? He didn't make them weird, he got them weird, okay? Um, having said that, I also want to say that God doesn't always do things that answer to my comfort level and uh, to my logic. He plainly does not. However, there is a world of difference between the ways of God that can be mysterious and just straight out spiritual weirdness. You, you can tell the difference. Perhaps for some people, the idea of having a heavenly big brother dictating your every movement doesn't exactly thrill you, and so being led by the Spirit is something that you hold at arm's length. Um, that, that kind of proposition doesn't thrill me either. I, I really don't think that God and the Holy Spirit is into either making people weird or making people obedient little marionettes that really don't have a mind of their own. Um, it's my conviction that God guides us and leads us in ways that actually develop autonomous, emotionally healthy people capable of making good, healthy, and right decisions for themselves. I mean, isn't that what every parent wants? If you were a parent, would you want the kind of children that you had to tell for all of their lives, wear these clothes, eat this food, take these classes, go to that university, apply for that job, marry that person, and have them do exactly what you prescribe all of their lives? By the way, the answer, the appropriate answer is no. <laughs> Some of you were hesitating way too long just then, all right? Others of you are thinking, that describes my parents. Well, you need counselling. Some of you are thinking, that sounds a bit like my parents' counselling style, uh, my parents' style, then, then your children will need counselling. Our goal for our children shouldn't be a robotic, codependent obedience. We long for healthy, mature adults, and, and I believe God does too. You know, a lot of 
lot of times when I've been looking for God's leading in a set of circumstances, <clears throat> he seems to say to me, sometimes by his silence, you decide. He does this not to frustrate me, but because decision-making is an indispensable part of character formation. And God is primarily in the character-forming business and not simply in the circumstance-shaping business. And there are times in my experience where he has been way more directive and he really did guide, he really did lead, he really does disclose, reveal and remind. But even then, in the guiding, he doesn't override me as an individual. So let's look, how does he guide? How, how are we to be spirit-sensitive, spirit-led people? Well, first of all, you need to be in the scriptures. He guides through the scriptures. It is the first and foremost manner in which he leads his people. The scriptures, I think, are the norm for all what we might call God's speech. Historically, the scriptures have a special, irreplaceable role in the guiding of God's people. They are our rule of conduct. They are our standard of faith. They are the final court of appeal for all other forms of guidance. No matter what people feel or think God is leading them to do, friends, if it doesn't line up with the scriptures, it isn't the Lord. The Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures and he will not contradict himself with personal prophecy, with dreams, with visions or so-called open doors that are, in, that are contrast, that contrast with his word. When I, when I have people come to me, you know, and I, I've heard them, and they, over the years they've come, they've told me some leading of the, of the so-called Holy Spirit in their life. And I, and I say to them, well, but, but what about the Scriptures? Well, you know, yeah, now they'll put the Scriptures aside and they'll tell me how much peace they feel and, and how supernatural it was. And I want to just say, none of that matters. If it, if it contradicts the Scriptures then I'm sorry, you need, to, you need to put it away. Imagine, and actually you don't have to imagine too much because I have had this happen to me, where people come and they say something to the effect of, uh, I think I'm being led into a particular relationship with a person. Um, I, it, it, you know, I don't know how this is going to work out because you know, um, something obviously happens to, has to happen in my marriage, but this relationship is so special that, it's, that, I, that I, I just know it's the Lord. And I can't begin to tell you the number of times that Karen and I have had to work through the convoluted confusion of people who are feeling led to do something that the scripture plainly says no to. And it's included a number of times and a number of people in ministry who have felt themselves led to someone other than their spouse. And their thinking starts to get really convoluted. I think my spouse is going to die. I think the Lord is warning me that they're going to die and he's setting up and preparing this relationship. I've heard that more than once. And every time the alarm bells go off for me, it's like, I'm sorry, but what does the scripture say? Uh, by the way, in such a situation, the you decide option is quite off the table. If you were to ask a God, if you were to ask God a question like that, you know, Lord, are you leading me into this relationship? I suspect the response would be absolute silence. He's already answered that question and he's not compelled to repeat himself. 
Again, I know people who have said something to the effect, Lord, if you don't want me to proceed with this relationship or with this option, which is clearly in uh, contrast to the scriptures, then close the door. Lo and behold, the door remained open and they took that as God's approval for their action. You know what? The truth is that people who ask those kinds of questions aren't looking for answers. They're looking for loopholes. They've already decided to ignore the clear normative words of Scripture. And to ignore the clear normative words of Scripture when they are unambiguously clear and then to seek guidance is at best to toy with and at worst to invite deception. Ezekiel chapter 14 tells the story of a group of men who come to the prophet um, seeking the Lord for, for his leading. And verse 3 of that chapter says, Son of man, these men, this is the Lord talking to Ezekiel, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set their stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? The Lord's saying they've already decided. They've already set up their idolatrous uh, pathway and now they are coming to me for confirmation. They wanted God's stamp of approval uh, a religious exemption, as it were, on their course of action. And verse 4 says, Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus, thus saith the Lord, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols. Let me try and paraphrase that. They will get an answer that actually confirms their determined direction and they will think it's from me and I'll allow them to think that but it is not from me, it is the echo of their own idolatry. When you've got clear, unambiguous scripture and you decide, Lord, is that for me? Can I have an exemption? You are toying with or inviting deception. Classic illustration. It's a story that often confused me but it's the story of Balaam the prophet. In Numbers chapter 22 through chapter 24, you know the story. Moabite king Balak sends a deputation to the prophet and offers him a significant amount of money if he will come and curse the Israelites for him. So they come. He says, I'll seek the Lord. God says, do not go. That should have been the end of the story. But those of you who know the story suddenly find God seems to have changed his mind because Balaam asks again and God says, okay, go. Now, I might be arguing from silence here, but to make sense of God apparently changing his mind, at least to me, it requires that Balaam went back seeking and asking God what to do with this deputation since they were insistent and since they were offering more money. He'd already been given an answer. Jude in the 11th verse tells us that Balaam was motivated by gain. He didn't want to turn down the opportunity to make a lot of money, so he's looking for an exemption. He's looking for a loophole. He has clear direction, and yet he keeps coming back to God, and finally God says, all right, have your own way. And if you've read the Scriptures, you know Balaam and other people like him come to a sticky end. If we want to be a people sensitive to the leadings of the Holy Spirit, then, friends, the indispensable element of that is that we be a people of the word of God. Secondly, God leads through what, what I call the inward teacher. The Holy Spirit is referred to as a teacher or as a tutor, and he leads by internally prompting us. You know, sometimes we talk about the word intuition, and intuition comes from two words, the inward teacher. And 
I think after, at least for me anyway, after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, that inward tuition, that intuition, that inward teacher came, has come alive for me. Now, I know this is very subjective, and as I say, it needs to be grounded in and informed by the Word of God. But don't be frightened by the fact that it is subjective. And it's a, it's a voice we learn to discern. In the same way that when you pick up a telephone and, you know, pick up a telephone, how old is that? When you pull out your mobile and you hear a voice, okay, I know that I'm old. I, 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 the telephone was in the world of black and white, okay? And we, we picked it up, it was attached by a cord. And we would listen to the voice. Sometimes, if we didn't know the person, it took us a few calls to work out whose voice that was. You don't always pick the voice at the beginning. Samuel didn't. He thought it was Eli. But over a period of time, he began to recognize the, the nature and, and impact of, of that voice. And God leads through that inward tutor. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 20 and following says, and, and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, that inward tuition. Psalm 32 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. Be not like the horse or the mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or else it will not stay near to you. We need to learn to listen to that inner voice. Sometimes we call it conscience. Sometimes it's intuition. Those internal promptings uh, might be an inner thought process. For me, they are often words that I speak and that I think, my goodness, where did that come from? Um, I was with somebody a couple of weeks ago and uh, we were talking together and he asked me a question and in the answer, as I'm answering, I'm thinking, where is this coming from? At the end of it, he looked at me and said, wow. And I said, yeah. <laughs> it's like, not me. Sometimes words that I did not choose to speak Choose me to speak them. And as I'm speaking them, I am hearing. Sometimes it's thoughts. Frederick Beekner says, Words that I did not uh, thoughts that I did not choose to think chose me to think them. And when you have those thoughts, just stop and start to think, where's that from? How do I unpack that? You say, well, Don, how can I tell the difference between my thoughts and, and those thoughts? Because they sound in the same voice. Um, E. Stanley Jones, the missionary to India, once said, perhaps a rough distinction is this. The voice of your subconscious argues with you, tries to convince you, but the inward voice of the spirit does not argue, does not try and convince you. It just speaks, and it is self-authenticating, and it has the, has the feel of the voice of God within it. And that made sense to me. That's how it feels for me. It's, it's something that doesn't argue. When, with the conscience, you can, you can go backwards and forwards, yeah, and, and argue backwards and forwards. That voice is self-authenticating, it speaks and then it stops. Sometimes those internal promptings come, as I say, for me at least, in words uh, or thoughts, but sometimes for some people they come in feelings. 
I remember Joe talking um, some time ago about the Ignatian tradition of heeding what is called in that tradition our consolations and our desolations. Today we might describe them as good feelings and bad feelings. And we say, I've got a bad feeling about this. There's, there's something that I sense or feel in my gut. I can't explain this, but when I go into a situation where there is significant occult activity, I get a feeling. And uh, I've walked into shops and homes and it's like, whoa, what's this? Um, I take notice of that feeling now. Initially, I didn't know what it was. And you would stumble along thinking, I don't have a good feeling about this, but I have no idea. Now, over years of practice, I guess, um, I, I, when I feel that, I, I think I know what's going on. Now, I know it's subjective, and, and sometimes I hear people say I have a bad feeling about a person. I'd be guarded about speaking that too loudly. You might have a bad feeling about a person, but you might be completely wrong, and as you speak it out, you impugn that person. So be very careful and very wise in the feelings that you have and how you manage those feelings. It's very subjective, but it is a way that God leads us. And as I say, after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, that came alive to me. I would sense the presence of God in certain settings and situations in ways that I had not before. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 verse 15 talks about the peace of God that acts as an umpire in our hearts, an arbitrator in our hearts. And when that umpire blows the whistle, you need to listen to it. When he says, don't do that, or when he blows the whistle and says, that was harsh, and I want you to go back and put that right. You don't argue with the referee, okay, you're liable to get a red card. When he blows the whistle and says, put it right. Then, then go back and settle that peace in your heart. When, it, when he blows the whistle, it's time to stop and reset. Don't stomp on your conscience, okay? The, as you mature, the voice of your conscience and the inward voice of the Holy Spirit begin to bind together to become one. Romans chapter 9, I think it's verse 1, Paul said um, in the Amplified Bible, and I'm quoting off the top of my head here, but um, the, the Spirit bears witness with my conscience. And when your conscience speaks, the Spirit of God often bears witness. Stop, reset, go back, sort it out. Learn to be sensitive to the Spirit. Walk in the power of an ungrieved spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When you feel you have, go back, sort it. Because as you sow responsiveness into that leading, you reap responsiveness. The more you hold it back, you know, there's an opaque film that goes over the window. You keep responding with, with resistance and ultimately you won't get light through that. That's why the Bible talks about people whose consciences are seared as with a hot iron. They have said no so many times that it just doesn't affect them anymore. You sow responsiveness, you reap responsiveness. You want to hear the voice of God, then respond to those leadings. Do it sensitively, do it softly. If you're wrong, don't get all disappointed and upset. Put it down to experience and go back. The number of times I've got things wrong, way beyond counting. I remember baptizing a woman. Uh, this is not in our church. This church it was in another one. Baptized her, pulled her up out of the water, and as I'm 
you know, as everyone's singing and we're praying, I said, Lord, is there anything you want to say to her? And I'm looking for a picture, a, a sense, and, and, and this thought came into my mind. It was just like, um, she, she may be struggling with a growth in her body. So I'm, I'm young and stupid, so I said, excuse me, but do you, are you battling with some kind of growth in, in your body? And I could see the moment that I said it that I was wrong. You know, her eyes widened, the fear, you know, do you know something that I don't know? No, I don't think so, no, no. And by that stage, I'm thinking, oh, God, beam me up, you know. Just pull the plug and let me go. And uh, so I'm now, you know, trying to put, no, 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 just forget it, forget it. No, you know, often, I've never seen that woman since that I know of, but I often think she must think back to a baptism, not with a great sense of celebration, but about that guy who said about the growth that was wrong and sent me to the doctor and the specialist and, and, and worries for weeks afterwards. You know, when those sorts of things happen, you think, oh, you know, I don't want to do this again. Uh, you know, I, I remember walking home. I, walk, I wasn't that far from home, and I remember kicking stones and thinking, you know, this is flipping ridiculous, you know. How, it's all right for builders, because when they knock a nail in and it goes crooked, they pull it out, throw it away. Well, they don't do that now. That's a bit like the telephone. They, you know. I'm sorry, I'm showing my age this morning. But they're building stuff, and you can tear it down. I'm dealing with lives, Lord. And when I say things, it's people. I'm not doing this anymore. Three months later, baptism. Somebody from Hamilton rang me up. We were in Cambridge and they said, hey, listen, we've got this lady. She's just come into our shop. It was the Christian bookshop. And, and they said, uh, she wants to be baptized. And he said, I don't know why. I just thought of you. Said, oh, okay, thank you. And I said, well, funny that you should say that because we've got a baptism on Sunday. Would she, if she wants to come, come and get her to introduce herself to me before the service and, and we'll baptise her. <clears throat> so um, her name was Marie. We, we were at the baptism and uh, lo and behold, Marie came up to me and said, hi, Don, I'm Marie. You know, the phone call. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So I ascertained that she was a believer. I didn't know anything more about it. Got her into the pool with all of the others. When her time came to be baptized, put her down under the water, brought her up, and stupidly I said, Lord, is there anything you want to say to her? I mean, how short is the memory? And this thought came into my mind. She doesn't have children, and she, she really wants children, and I'm going to give her children. You tell her that. People are singing, I'm holding her head, and I'm saying, hey, remember the growth? <laughs> I said, I'm not telling her, you tell her. <laughs> so everyone's singing, they got to the end of the song, sing it again, sing it again, because I'm grappling inside now with what to do with this, you know? And so finally, being the incredibly courageous person that, I, <laughs> that I'm not, I decided I would ask some questions. So um, I said, Marie, are you married? I thought that was a good place to start. <laughs> and she said, yeah, that's my husband. I looked up and there was this um, really muscly Maori guy standing on the side of the pool. And I thought, oh my God, if I get this wrong, he might beat me to a pulp, you know. <laughs> You've really offended my wife. And I said, good, okay, you're married, that's good. Um, I said, Marie, do you have any children? And as soon as I said it, just the tears started started just and, and isn't it amazing how you can go from an absolute coward to a man of faith and through one tear and so I said to Marie you really want children don't you and she just started to sob she said yeah I can't have them 
And I said, look, I, I, I dare to tell you this, but I think the Lord is saying you're going to have children. Okay, left, left it at that. Okay. <laughs> Time goes by. I was at Faith Bible College teaching. I came back in, this is, and Karen's looking at me rather strange and says, um, you got a really interesting phone call today. And I said, I did? She said, you did. I said, okay. Who, 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 what was it about? She said, it was a, from a lady called Marie. I said, oh, yeah. And she said, she said to tell you you're pregnant and that you'd know about it. What do you know about it? <laughs> I got to hold that baby and uh, pray over it. And then, uh, you know, this, this is a funny story. This is one of those never-ending stories because about four years later, Karen and I were at, up in Coromandel sitting on a beach. We were on a holiday. And I saw this woman walking down the beach and she had um, a toddler and, and was pushing a pram. And as she got close, I was like, oh my God. she's looking at me, I'm looking at her, going, Marie, Don. And she came over and I said, you, you, you got two. And she said, I've got two. Um, ten years go by. Karen and I are sitting down by the lake, and a people mover pulled up behind. <laughs> and the door opened, and the kids rolled out. And I don't—I can't remember four. And <laughs> I hid down. You know. And Karen said, "What are you doing?" You know, I said, "It's Marie." She said, what are you hiding for? Said, there are four of them. She's probably looking for me and saying, how do you stop this? You know? <laughs> A little prompting, okay? You don't have to say, God told me. You can say, are you married? Do you have children? Uh, just, just follow the prompting, okay? Thirdly, and I'll move quickly, the discernment that comes from God's community. This isn't always dramatic as we would like, um, but it's often more frequent. And we hear God's leading in the voice of our friends, of our mentors, or, or even shock horror through our pastor. Um, I think guidance was always meant to be more community process. Than, than, than we've allowed it to be. In our individualistic culture, it's me and Jesus got a good thing going. We don't need anybody else to tell us what it's all about. It was a song that was way back in the 70s. But we do. We are immersed in a culture that glorifies independence, but um, the reality is we live in community. And I know the thought of having our lives subject to or perhaps influenced by others is somewhat of a frightening thing for some of us, but that fierce world of independence is not the world of the scriptures. And I concede it's not always easy to hear the voice of God through our friends, but if they're true friends, sometimes the things that they say need to be said, and it will cause sparks to fly. That's why Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron as a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Psalm 141 talks about a very little recognised anointing. We really pray, oh God, let the anointing of God be upon my life. Well, here's an anointing that some of us don't appreciate. Verse 5, let a righteous man strike me and it's a kindness. Let him rebuke me and it is an anointing. It's oil for my head. Let not my head refuse it. Somebody says to you, are you serious? Really? You're thinking of doing that? 
Sparks fly and we think if you were a real friend you wouldn't say that. Well, sometimes real friends do and sometimes truly we need it. Sometimes his leading, sometimes being spirit-led is providential. We don't realise till afterwards. It's afterwards as we look back, we see the incredible leading of God. Abraham's servant who was looking for a bride for Isaac didn't recognise the leading of God, but it was there and in hindsight he looked back. Ruth didn't know she was being led into Boaz's field, but in hindsight she could see the providential dealings of God. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, the scripture says. Finally, some of us have moments where God uses more dramatic means to lead us. And we need, as spirit-led people, to be sensitive to things like dreams, visions, prophetic words. As much as we want those to happen, and they are the dramatic things that we tell the stories about, in reality they are probably somewhat rarer than the things that I've mentioned. The scriptures, the inward voice, the community, providentially. But God does use those things nevertheless. The dreams, the visions, the prophecies, he does use those to speak to us. Some people only really look for the for spirit ledness, if I can put it that way, uh, when they're in a jam, when, when they're in a pickle. I'm in real trouble. God, we call out. But God is not a penny slot machine. He wants to be a friend that walks with us through life. And as I said before, sow responsiveness, reap responsiveness. When you become largely deaf to God's voice, he becomes largely dumb in terms of speaking to you. Sow responsiveness, listen, and let him speak. Um, God wants our friendship, okay? Not, he, does not, he does not want simply to be a butler. You know that scripture, he will be my shield and buckler, not my shield and butler. He wants a friendship. He wants to walk with you. He does not want simply to be called on when we are in times of trouble. We can be a spirit-led people. Okay? Now, as I say, it doesn't necessarily mean that he will marionette you, tell you what to wear every time. But every now and then, he'll do something quite remarkable. And those, uh, at least for me anyway, are the... Uh, you know, if I look back over my journey with Jesus, the times that I would say have been the most remarkable, the most faith-building, are those times when I suddenly became aware. He spoke to me. He spoke to me. And it changed my life in many instances. We are here in Hamilton because God spoke to us. We would never have come otherwise. Seriously, we were not interested in coming to Hamilton. We were heading for Singapore, but God spoke to us. And now, 30 years later, I'm so glad he did. We want to be a spirit-led people. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.